0: Name of Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. It's just another name. If you don't really know it, Amen. Everybody's got a name. Some might sound it's nice, right? some might not. Everybody's got a name. But when you begin to realize that the name of Jesus took your sins away. And the name of Jesus gave you eternal hope in God. And that the name of Jesus is there to give you power over your flesh. And over an evil world. And over every situation that you're walking through. Monkey. Then the name of Jesus takes off extra worldly significance you. If you don't know Him, it's just another name. That's right, man. But if you know Him. It's the power of God and salvation—it is truly everything. everything. I'm so glad I know Him today. I'm so glad I know who Jesus is. And if you have your Bibles, if you'd like to go with me this morning to the book of Luke, yeah. chapter twenty-two, Mary. <laughs> familiar passage of New Testament Scripture, Luke chapter 22. Lord Jesus here is talking to those that have been following, those that have been faithful, those that have kept me with Him. Verse 28 says you are they which have continued with me in my temptations and I appoint unto you a kingdom. Aren't you thankful? That if we're faithful, there's a kingdom waiting on us. I poured unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath put it unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sell thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's what's ahead. Every That's what we're waiting on. That's what's just around the corner. But then, then our Lord says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Amen. He might put you
1: through the grinder, or that he might separate you out. Mm-hmm. But I have prayed for thee. And I have prayed for thee that
0: thy faith, faith,
1: love to
0: him thou art confirmed, Straighten the bread. The Lord's got great things in front of the church. great things await, there's also going to be a process whereby the enemy is going to do everything he can to weed some
1: out, to
0: take what he can take and steal what he can steal. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning on thin ranks. May would you lift up your hands and voices and worship Lord with me. Oh Heavenly Father, we love you. We worship and adore you, Lord. We lift up that great name of Jesus, but there's no faith like your faith. There's no other God without God, and we lift you up today. Lord, we ask you, pray for us. God strengthen us, empower us with victory over the unity of our soul. That we not be simply, that we not be removed from the body, but that we will be strong and faithful to the end. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The, The phrase that they have thinned ranks, or that the ranks have been thinned, it tells a story of loss. It is oftentimes used to describe the status of a military group, the status of an army, or, or, or units that make up an army. It, it's basically a cliché. It's just an old saying that identifies that a, a once strong army has now been weakened to some degree. It means that there was used to be a certain number on the front lines, but, but now there's less. There used to be a certain amount of troops that were in reserve, but the reserves have now been depleted, and now the battle line is thin. No general, no military leader wants to go into battle choosing to have out ranks. They want strength. They want to go in, go in with every available man. They want everybody's ammo pouch to be full. They want all of their provisions to be in their backpacks. They want all the tanks and the planes and the bombs and all the weapons of warfare they could possibly get their hands on because strength is what brings about victory. Strength overpowering your enemy and making sure that you've got more men than they've got, and you've got a better strategy than he's got, and you've got a better battle plan than they've got. That's the way wars are won. That's the way that battles are won. No general wants to go in. With their ranks thin, he wants companies upon companies and battalions upon battalions of battle hardened soldiers ready for the fight. That's what he wants. That's what he wants to happen. And yet, we see as Jesus himself drew near to the end of his, his human life, it would sure look like his ranks were beginning. Of fear. We see in the book of John, chapter
1: 6, just a,
0: just a little bit of time before the passage that I read to you a few moments ago, verse 66 says, it's kind of interesting, this is John chapter 6 and verse 66. Catch the significance of those numbers. Because the scripture says, from that time, many of his disciples went back. And walk no more with you. There used to be multitudes upon multitudes. There used to have to have multiple services on Sunday to fit everybody into the pews. That he used to have to, to get out of the boat and paddle out the shore just a little bit so there would be room for him to stand up and preach because the crowds had just crowded him out of space. But when the going got tough, well, some folks got going. And don't the crowd
1: you, began you. to thin out. And, and the services went
0: from maybe three on Sunday back to one. And that one was even looking just a little scarce. And, and so the crowds began to thin out. And the Bible says Jesus looked unto the twelve and said, Will you also go away? It was looking grim. The crowd was getting so thin and everybody was 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 leaving in a mass exodus to such a degree that he turns around to his closest followers and says, "Are you going to? Are you packing everything up and heading to the house too?" And then Simon Peter, the same one I spoke to you about a moment ago, answered him and said, "Lord, to whom shall we go? It just, it, it, it smoke in Where are we room. going to go? Because you have the words." It, that's it like that's
1: usually where we like to shout. <laughs> maybe that surprises some of y'all. That's usually
0: where you like to shout. That's usually where you like to to get excited and shout out some hands and lift up some hands toward heaven and begin to God, to give God some worship and give God some praise. And we like to get excited about Peter's boldness, but we already know in Scripture what's coming down Peter's road just a little while. Yeah. I guess he answers no question, where are we going to go? Because Peter goes away too. The ranks just keep on fitting. Peter's days of faithfulness were numbered, and his numbers were about up. As a matter of fact, look at Mark chapter 14 and verse 50 very succinctly says, and they all forsook him and fled. When the going got tough, everybody got going. How can this be? I uh, we, we know there was 12, and, and a lot of times we, we hold in on the 12, but there was a lot more than 12. There was 12, there was 70, and, and there were hundreds more, and it just kept getting thinner, and it just kept getting thinner. We get down to 12, we know one of them's a traitor. We know that Judas is going to bail out, and he's going to forsake the Lord. Godliness and even messed up with false religion and get everybody back to God in the garden of Eden like it's supposed to be? What kind of odds is it that we've got two half-hearted guys following Jesus to the cross? What kind of an army was that? It sure does seem like God always gives up a very small possibility. Not an army at all. You couldn't, even, you couldn't even honor it by calling it that. Two men don't make up an army. Two men don't even make up a gang. Two men are just two guys following all together. The Apostle Paul tells people like you and I in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 of course we know these words are written to the church. They're written to people that have already repented their sins and Been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 3 says, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come. That last day is not going to come. Except there come a falling away first. That man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition before everything wraps up in this world, before God puts a bow on His great and mighty plan and brings judgment down to humanity, it says before all of that takes place and God is finished, there's going to be a great falling away. Book of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4,
1: all the same message in mind says in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh
0: expressly that in the latter times, the last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You need to tell me that in the last days, in the fleeting hours of God's grace and God's mercy in the age in which we live, at the same time that we are holding on to the fact that great and revival is about to come, that great end time move of God is about to be poured out. We read in the word and we, we're looking for God to come and make a quick work and to save many souls for that hour of humanity when God is pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh that in that time and in those days when it seems like the army being ready to go, that army of soul winners and prayer warriors being at full strength is more important than ever? And the Lord prophesies through us and says, the ranks are going to be filled. Some good men are going to fall out. Some faithful women are going to give heed to seducing spirits. Some that have dwelt on pews for what seems like forever are going to up and decide to throw in the towel and call it quits. Anybody ever had
1: that feeling before? Anybody ever wondered what was going on in the church
0: before? There are those that were faithful just a little while ago, but now for some reason, they're struggling. Those that once had a desire to serve God and wanted to give Him their all, now they're being consumed and carried away with all the cares of this life as if this world was going to stay here forever. <clears throat> just look around. On the Canis filled? is the baptistry wet? The Lord's coming. If there's only a a few things you can remember about anything preached in this pulpit the past couple of years, the Lord's coming. His coming is right around the corner, and yet are the altar services longer? Are we really tearing in the spirit because there's souls in the altar that we got to pray through no matter what comes, what may, because the Lord can come tomorrow? Are our worship services more powerful and more powerful every time that we come into the house of God? Do we walk in and the glory of God is here like never before? You answer the question. Is the army at full strength? Or have the ranks been fit? It will be to the book of Judges chapter seven. Judges chapter 7 Judges chapter 6 tells us the story of a man named Gideon that was kind of taken aback by God the angel of the Lord came down and called a mighty man of the said you're going to deliver my people you're going to do some great things
1: and he was on the fence he was a doubter he really didn't know what to do but But
0: through a little bit of conversation and a little bit of testing of the Lord, he he became convinced, all right, God's called me to do something. God's God's called me to be a leader. God's called me to to do something to deliver God's people. And and that's where we pick up in verse 7, I mean in chapter 7. Verse 1 says, Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vault themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. I've already told you, battles are won by superior strength. The Navy that's got the most and the most technologically developed fleets of boats are the ones that's going to defeat the ones that don't. The the, the nation that has an air force whose jets are faster and and bombs are bigger and munitions are more precise, they're going to take the victory for the battle of the air. When you get down to the trenches and you get down to the ground, it's hand-to-hand combat. The God has got more men swinging knives and, and shooting guns are the ones that have a tendency to prevail. And if the Lord begins to speak to Gideon and says, you have too many men, it don't make a lick of sense, folks. No, no human mind looks at that situation and says, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, You can only imagine what's going through Gideon's head. The Lord's, I I didn't hear right. I, I didn't understand his voice. Maybe he needs to tell me again because God's telling me that my strategy is reduction. When I'm already ridiculously outnumbered. The odds were already way out of whack before God even started talking. And now God is telling Gideon, I'm about to thin your ranks on purpose. Well, who knows what God means by this? Maybe I got 30,000 men. It means every army's got a few guys who can't shoot straight, every army's got some cowards in it. Every army's got some guys that really aren't trained all that well, so he's just going to make sure that, you know, I've got the elite force. He's he's just going to shave a little bit off around the quarters. He says in verse 3, he says, Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. Well, that makes sense. You might as well go home now, then get on the battlefield, make everybody else be worried because you turned and ran when the battle got hot. That makes sense. I mean, some folks get drunk out of the military before they ever put on the battlefield because they realize this guy can't cut it. And their return to the people. Twenty and two thousand. And there remain ten thousand. We, we always wait for God to do the opposite of this to build our faith. We we always wait for God to start ordering situations and circumstances in such a way that that it's glaringly obvious. God is in this thing. God is moving to bring about my situation. God is stacking everything in line to bring about what I know he put in my heart to do. But what do you do when God does the very opposite of that? What do you do when everything you prayed for God did the opposite, and everything you thought God was going to do to bring it about, He did the opposite, and you're looking around at your life wondering, God, what in the world are you doing? Oh, yes. He was left with ten thousand men. Now I know that you know where where you think the preachers go this morning. I know that you make the co- the connection about a great falling away in the last days. And and people getting up and waiting on God. And, and using this old story back from the, the Old Testament to, to talk about God sending all the cowards on them. Well, hold on a minute. Before we burn all these guys at stake. These men have been terrorized by this sin. You know, there's not some unheard of army that showed up all the way from the far east and and they've never never seen them before, so they just got to go out and and try to measure up on the battlefield. They've been terrorized by these people for a long time. It's not the first time this army showed up. It's not the first time the chariots have rolled into town. It's not the first time that their hordes have showed up and, and left all of their country desolate. And it's not like the situation has changed. They don't have more men than they used to. They don't have better weapons than they used to have. They don't have some new really brilliant strategy that nobody's ever thought about before. The situation is exactly unchanged. Would you be brave? Or would you be afraid? Maybe they were all downright yellow belt. Maybe they all were just a bunch of cowards and didn't have any fighting. (laughs) Maybe they were just realists. (coughs) We're all human, so we think human. They just looked around and getting. I'm sorry, man. This ain't gonna happen. Well, you got to get rid of the faithless, right? You got to weed out the faithless. Somebody wants to go into a spiritual battle with somebody that don't have any faith, right? Verse 4, the Lord said to Gideon, People are yet to be. That's like whining about having too small a church building, and the next day the church building burns to the ground. That's about saying, Lord, I don't have enough classroom space, and then tomorrow you don't have any classrooms. It's about saying, Lord, I don't have enough money to give like I want to, or I don't have enough money to make use of me and my own finances. Right, you get the peak slip. There are yet too many. Bring them down to the water and I'll try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. What is the Lord saying? He said, I'll decide think You're going down there and you're going to watch them as they march, and you're going to figure out the guys that are strong and weak. You're going to figure out those that are smart and dumb. You're going to figure out those that are faithful and those that are faithless. He said, You just get them down by the water, and I'll tell you who goes. So he brought down the people under the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone that laugheth at the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. <laughs> The number of them that laughed, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, by the three hundred men that laughed, will I save you? And deliver the Midianites into thy hand. Let all the other people dwell to their place. Gideon had no idea what was coming, but now the Lord spoke. Now, messages you've heard over the years
1: about why God
0: chose this method. I, I may even have preached one or two somewhere in my lifetime. I don't know. I've heard all sorts of hypotheses about uh, why God chose these men. I, I've heard that not bending down and, and keeping your head up where you could see was a sign of being alert and on the watch for their enemies. I've heard that, that, that bringing their hands up to their mouth and lapping it out of their palms like a dog was a sign that, that they were fired up, that they didn't want to waste any time. they didn't want to slow down. they just wanted to get across that field and get to their enemies. Amen. And I've even read that those that got on their knees and bowed forward to get water out to, to, to get water to drink were giving away that they were well practiced in worshiping idols. So they were certainly unfit to fight in God's word. Right? What's the answer? I don't know. It could be one of these explanations. It could be all three of these plus a couple more put together. And I'm not throwing shade on anybody's message or anybody's idea. I don't really know why God chose to make that the thing that divided the men but what if what if it were none of these things what if it had nothing to do with their courage what if it had nothing to do with idolatry what if it had nothing to do with having a fire in your belly to fight what if there's no logical human explainable reason at all why God chose to send all those guys home it was easy to understand the first ones they were scared they, they were afraid they were going to run in battle but why did God send all these other guys home what if there wasn't a reason that we could ever understand now I'm going to preach to you just a little bit there's some missing from our ranks today we don't know the we, we know somebody that, that chose worldliness over godliness and, and we know somebody that walked away from God and then back into sin, but what about the others? Do you have an ex- explanation for them? Do you have an explanation as to why Life has torn them away from us. Do you have an explanation for why they couldn't be here to fight in the battle? Or they couldn't be here to see victory finally come? Because I'm going to be honest with you. There's times that it will seem like we need somebody the most and they're not there. It seems like now's the time when I need you to stand shoulder to shoulder with them on the battlefield. But they're not there anymore. It sure seems there's times when we need the voices of the elders more than ever that their voices fall suddenly silent. Times it seems when somebody is right on the cusp of a miracle that the rug gets scuffed out from under them in a moment. it all made sense when the cowards went home. Maybe Gideon knew, but the scripture don't give us any insight to that at all. Maybe Gideon looked around and went, God, what did that have to do with everything? What difference does it make how they drink water? I need men that can swing a sword. I need men that can throw spears. I need men that can hold up a shield. I need men that can go and take cities. What difference does it make how they took a drink from the creek bed? Maybe
1: he's never here. Maybe they
0: never so There's days in our life we find ourselves looking around at the ranks, looking around at empty pews and empty seats and wondering why God? Why take them home? Why are they not sitting beside me today? Why are they somewhere else? I'm talking about backsliders. There's been times that folks have been in the church that we've desperately needed their help, and then they made their way to another church. I'm not condemning them being in another church. Maybe that church needed their help too. But you look around in an actual sense and you think, God, but I needed them. Yeah. I needed their messages. I needed their lessons. I needed their prayers. I needed their time and offering. I needed their friendship. But why did you send them away? There's times that God will not answer and never tell you why they're not here. There are people in our families, there are people in our circles of acquaintance that should be here, but they're not. They're still living, they're still breathing, they're supposed to be filling up the ranks of the army of God, but they're not. I had come this morning to tell you that I've got an answer that I don't have. But I can tell you this I can put myself into the mind of the kidney. He's looking at an insurmountable task. He's looking at what seems to be an undefeatable enemy. And all he's got is this ragtag group of people that he's just turned into an army. And now his army. Now his his cobbled together force has turned coat and walked away. I know what it's like to look at empty pews and wonder, God, how are we going to win this city? How are we going to grow? How are we going to get from where we're at right now to where we're supposed to be? How are we going to get from the situation that we're in into that situation that you showed me that I'm feeling in my heart, that I've been looking for and longing for for a long time? God, how are we going to get from here to there when you've taken the whole army I can empathize. I can understand. But I've come to preach to all of us today. Not just Gideon, but the 300 men that were standing by the bar.
1: Because
0: at least Gideon had a promise from God. At least Gideon had an encounter with his presence and God, and Gideon had the opportunities to ask a couple questions and get some answers from God. At least Gideon had that experience with the Almighty. What did these other three hundred have? They were just looking around at what used to be thousands, and now it's just a few hundred. Have you ever wondered what I have wondered before? Have you ever looked around and asked God how are we going to win our families? How are we going to win our city? How are we going to do anything else other than run to the hills and hide what Jesus comes? Because that's what they've been doing for years. The enemy shows up and they went and hid the caves. The enemy shows up and they just went behind closed doors waiting for the battle to pass. Waiting for the city to be (laughs) sacked, Waiting for the crops to be stolen and destroyed and burned to the ground. And then they came out and they started all over again. That's what they've been doing. But what were they going to do today? Seemed like everything was going in the right direction. I know they were still outnumbered, but you still got to be encouraged a little bit. Everybody's been hiding in caves for years, and now 30 plus thousand show up to go and fight. There's times you roll up out of revival. And you're thinking, God, we're going to do this thing. God, we're going to take this city. God, we're going we're to fill up this church. By the 4th of July, we going to have room to sit. And then you also roll up in here some Sunday nights. And you're trying to count an attendance number that gets into the numbers that start with at least two. Being real, folks. Tom, I'm sitting up here in this little blue chair and, and the music's striking up the band and we got a dozen. Right? And Gideon's thinking, Lord. What are we supposed to do with this? How are we going to win the city when we got when we got a dozen and file up our Seat and say they never really loved God anyway? Are we just going to run back off to the cave and say they just fell down in their struggle? Are we just going to ride them off as casualties and say they never really had it in them to go out and fight anyway? Are we really braver than all the cowards that went home? Or have we just not gotten to that spot on the battlefield yet? Because if you're telling me you never one time in your life thought about quitting, you're lying. Yes. If you're telling me you never got scared, and you never doubted God, and you never wondered what the world he was doing, you're not telling the truth. Because I'm yes. telling you all 32,000 of those men were worried. Yes. Are we really better soldiers than those that have been over the tree? I watch people in my life. I watch people fall out. I watch people fall away from God. And I look at them and I think, God, they were better than me. They were stronger than me. They prayed more than I did. They stuck with you more faithfully than what I have. God, you used them so much more. Are we really better than them? Or are we simply living in the grace and the mercy of God? And we like to think sometimes because. That they are, oh, here's all these reasons why God chose me. But we got to come to that realization that you're not going to know why God chose you. Because the only reason He chose you is because He loves you and you can't fully grasp We've got to stop thinking, I got picked out of this situation because I was better than everybody. You weren't better than
1: everybody else. Every last one of us were sinners on our way to a devil's hell. And the only reason you're
0: sitting and living and breathing in the house of God today is because of God's grace is I don't know why God chose those 300 men. I just know He chose them. But do we not serve a God that is able? Do we not serve a God that can raise the dead? Do we not serve a God that can heal the wounded? Do we not serve a God that can do anything? Do we believe it or not? What is our response? For the faithful for gone. Well, they didn't fail God, they just got ripped out of this world. Do we just sit down and give up? Do we just stop walking? Do we just
1: go back to the cave and wait until Jesus comes?
0: I'm not making light of sorrow and struggle, but the question is, do we just give in? Do we just throw in the towel or do we keep, put, keep putting one foot in front of the other? Keep going back to the prayer calls. And keep cracking up in the Bible every morning. Keep making our way to the house of God when we don't feel like it. When not one bit of our flesh wants to. When we don't even understand why we're going. And if God's ever going to touch us again, we still go because we know God's faithful. What is our response? When we feel like we need an army and all we see is a platoon. What is our response when we feel like we need a new building but we're still sitting in the old one? What is our response when we feel like we need a dozen teachers but we're sitting here with just a handful? How do we respond when we're trying to to have revival by all the things that the world says we need to have revival and we look around and we don't have any of those things? So what did they do? when all they had was an impossible situation and a guy on the hillside saying, are you going to leave me too? Verse 8. So the people. What people? The 300 people. So the people took victuals in their hand. And their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, to his tent and retained those 300 (coughs) men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the battle. 300 men were standing around, staring at each other, watching thousands walk away. 300 men were looking at each other, a handful of swords, a handful of shields, a handful of spears, while their army was headed back home and headed back to the caves. And all the while, they can look down the hillside and see that the enemy was still just as big and just as bad and just as terrifying as they had always been. But in that moment, In that moment, 300 men made up their minds. I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know what way he's going to do it. It don't make any sense to me. I'm not even really sure about this guy again. But I made up in my mind. I'm packing a lunch. I'm grabbing my trumpet. And I'm heading for the battlefield. God is speaking to us today and wants us to know something. We don't have to have a church of 300 to do a work. We don't have to start out with full cues to fill up cues. Come somebody, I know it's hard, I know it doesn't make any sense to us. I know it hurts, but God's telling us today, act yourself a lot. Whatever
1: took
0: it and let's go.
1: There's still work
0: to be done. I'm not still coming. And there's still a lost world to save. I can't go back to the caves. I've got an enemy to face until Jesus makes a way. Amen. He came and passed the same night. Same night.
1: The Lord said to him, "Arise, give
0: me down to the host, from thither into thy hand." I want you to see this. But if thou fear to go down, Gideon had an encounter with the angel of the Lord. He heard the voice of the Lord, and then he tested God twice, and God answered twice. God's given him explicit instructions as to what to do, and now says I've given them into your hand. But if you're still afraid, go thou and refer thy servant down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thy hands be strengthened to go down to the host. It would have been more encouraging for the troops Forgetting to say, "Oh, God got this. I ain't got to go down." Guys, grab your lunch, grab your trumpets, get your swords. We're going now. God just told me He's delivered the enemy into my hands. That ain't what He did. He went down there. He admitted to God and all of us and all of posterity. He was scared. He was afraid. He didn't understand. He went down for his servant and, and to the outside of the army that were in the post. You see, you and me, we didn't run off all the cowards. And now come to find out Gideon's shaking his shoes. God knows where you're at. God knows you're struggling. God knows you have doubts. He can handle it. God knows you don't always feel like running over a truth. God knows you don't always fully believe it's going to work out the way you thought it was going to work out. He can handle it. Just trust Him. Just go where He tells you to go. Just do what He tells you to do. He told him, I understand if you're scared, you? but if you're scared, here's what I'm telling you to do. Go down and put your ear to it. Go listen and see what you hear. Verse 12, and the Midianites, the Amalekites, the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. Their camels were without numbers and stand by the sea for multitude. And when Gideon was come because he's scared. Behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow. And said, Behold, I dream and dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian, and came into a tent, and smote it that it fell, and overturned it that the tent lay on. And his fellow answered and said, "This is nothing else, save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host." Now, don't, don't lose your excitement. I want you to hold on to it. But I want you to think about what we just read. Some ungodly, reprobate enemy of the kingdom of God. What we and fur are supposed to hear? He delivered them into our hands, and I heard out of their own mouth. Amen. He said, "Get up, gentlemen. Tim it's time to go out to the battlefield." Because it don't matter that 22,000 of your best buddies went home. God has shown up to do something special. I've come to tell you, I know some things in your life don't make sense. I know some things in this church don't make sense. But just hold on to God. Just trust in God. Just keep getting ready to
1: march out on that field. God's about to do something special. Amen.
0: Know, Verse sixteen. He divided the three hundred men into companies. <laughs> I'm gonna spread them out. They can move bigger. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand, with empty pitchers <coughs> and lamps with oil. <coughs> And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And Behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall I do. They took three things into that battle. And And they were not the things that soldiers needed to (laughs) slay. Three things. They took the trumpets Already had. Trumpets were used for signals and communication to make noise. They took what they already had. And into their hands, the man of God put empty pitchers, empty vessels, nothing in them, and lamps. All they took. You know what we need to win this city. What we've already got: empty vessels and the fire of the Holy Ghost. If you'll take what God put in your life, you empty yourself out before that God, and you let God begin to move inside of your soul. God will do whatever He needs to do.
1: He yeah. can win your
0: family through you. He can win your job through you. He can win this city through this church. It don't have to make sense. You don't have to look right. It doesn't all have to end up. We just got to trust God. We just got to hold on to God. Would you stand on your feet? Oh. Would you lift up your hands? Would you call me all for your uh, knees? Please,
1: tell us trust the Lord. Let's trust God.